New Testament passage today picks up in Paul's letter to young Pastor Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. Paul said, you, however, now I want you to notice this with me, you, however. Now remember the last part, we just talked about preachers who were falling away, preachers who refused to serve God properly. He said, now listen, we've talked about those. He said, now, now Timothy, let's talk about you. He said, you're not like these guys. You're not like these rebels. You're not like these, these bad preachers. He said, Timothy, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim of life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. Now, let me just park on this for a minute. First of all, park on the word my. He said, Timothy, you followed my. My teaching, conduct, aim of life, faith, patience, love, steadfastness, persecutions, and sufferings. He said, you, you followed me. I'm your, I'm your spiritual father in the faith. Now, now, brothers and sisters, it is amazing to me how, how people can be trained by somebody all their life and then one day just go off in a completely different direction. It's because they have not followed. They may have obeyed, but they have not followed. They may have conformed while they're in the situation, but not followed. Now, Paul said, you followed my teaching. Paul said, I laid down teaching for you, and you, you continued in that teaching. He said, you followed my conduct. You, you, you did things, and you lived the way that I lived my life. He said, you, you didn't get off and start following the lifestyle of these other preachers. You, you followed my way of life. He said, you followed my aim of life. Now, oh, brothers and sisters, here's a big one. If I could get this in the young pastors that I train, I would go to heaven more than a happy man. My aim in life. What is my aim in life? For too many pastors, the aim in life is to get rich. Now, God will bless us preachers. God has been so good to me. Now, people forget the first 20 or 30 years when we didn't have anything. But, you know, I'm one of these preachers that, you know, God says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. When he talks about pastoral prosperity, I'm one of these ones that was the last. But that was fine with me because that was not my aim in life. My aim in life was to serve God. My aim in life was to do what nobody else was willing to do. I've always told God, if you've got a job that nobody else would do, give it to me and I'll do it. That's been my aim in life. My aim in life has been for souls. My aim in life has been to sacrifice my life for the people. It's my aim in life. Now, if you can get that into young pastors, and not follow the, the aims of life of, of some of these other preachers. Ah, he said, you followed my faith. Ah, there's a good one. He said, you followed my faith. You followed my patience. <laughs> now, now, sometimes as pastors, I will admit we are way too patient with people. And we always get bit for it. But follow the patience. Even though you're going to get bit for it. Even though you're going to get stabbed in the back for it. Paul said, follow my patience, my love. Uh, Paul said, follow my, you followed my love. You followed my steadfastness. He said, I was just faithful. I was just faithful to everything I did. He said, you followed my persecutions. He said, you didn't run away when times got hard. You know, during COVID-19, times have gotten hard. It's amazing the preachers that just run away. You followed my persecutions and my sufferings that happened to be in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet from them, all 
the Lord rescued me. <laughs> you see, that's the thing of a man of God. A man of God might have to walk through the fire, but the Lord rescues us from them all. I like that. He said, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ, so here's this, in Christ again, all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Not might be persecuted, will be. If, if you're going to determine to live a holy life and not play the casual carnal Christianity, when, when I was a young man, we used to call it the California Christianity. Now, I know that sounds like a horrible thing to say. But if you're not going to follow this carnal, casual Christianity that, you know, uh, you will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, he said, Timothy, this is, this is a fact of life. A fact of life and ministry. He said, Evil people, all right? There's going to be evil people. Imposters, there are going to be imposters. Please forgive me, there are going to be fake preachers. And they go from bad to worse. He said, Timothy, I'm sorry. This is just a fact of life. You're going to have evil people and you're going to have imposters in the ministry who will go from bad to worst. And he said, deceiving and being deceived. He said, you know, the, these preachers, these imposters, that there is a spirit of deception and they are really good at deceiving people. They've got just enough truth to make people believe a lie. He said, they're deceiving and being deceived. <laughs> Folks, there's not much you can do when deception gets on people because the more you try to talk to them, the less they believe you. Sometimes you just have to people, sometimes you just have to let the poison, as Paul would say, get worked out of their minds. He said, but as for you, all right. Now notice we had the same thing coming back and forth again. He said, Timothy, this, this is what's going on in the world, but now let, let's, let's talk about you. He said, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Now here is, this is a wow, all right? This is a wow. He said, Timothy, this, this is how you handle living in deception and imposters and persecution. This is how you live in this. He said, you number one, you continue. Wow, how to survive. How to survive spiritually. Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. He said, now, Timothy, continue in what I taught you. Continue in what I taught you and you firmly believed because you know from whom you learned it. He said, Timothy, there's going to be a lot of evil people. There's going to be a lot of imposters running around saying a lot of things. But he said, you, you continue in what you've learned, what you firmly believe, because you know my life. You know from whom you've learned it. And how from childhood, and so notice there's a second thing there. You know from how you've learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation 
through faith in Christ Jesus now. So there's two things about how to survive. Number one is there in verse 14. And number two is in verse 15. You know your teacher and you know what you've learned. Stay in what you've learned. Stay in the lanes we talked about the other day. And he says, secondly, because from the time you were a baby, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. You, you've heard the scriptures since you were little. He said, so you know, hold on to this, these things. And he said, these sacred teachings, referring to what we call the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, they're able to make you wise for salvation through faith, not by themselves, we're not saved by the law, through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So notice all scripture. So that would be Old Testament referred to. Now remember, they don't have the New Testament yet. All they've got is what we call the Old Testament. That's, that's all they have. All scripture, that's referring to the Old Testament, was breathed out by God. Those are God's words, so don't throw them out. They're profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, but, but not for salvation. Not for salvation. Salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, the scriptures will make you wise for salvation, but they don't give you salvation. But you can use the scripture for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Everybody say, know the Bible. Okay. That way a man of God is competent. You know, preachers who don't study, <laughs> they're not competent. Preachers who just go to great God, Google and download their sermons and act like a talking head and don't even really understand what they're talking about, they're not competent and they're not equipped for every good work. Every good work you are equipped for and you're competent to do from scriptures. All right. Now, chapter four, verse one. He said, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing in kingdom, he said, I'm charging you with this, Timothy. He said, Timothy, one day you stand before God. Okay, he said, one day, Timothy, you are held accountable. One day, Timothy, you are held accountable. Now, you know what? I didn't push that thing on the whole time. So let me just back up and... Let you get a picture of it. There you go. You can get us, take a picture real quick. I'll leave it there for a minute. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. He said, Timothy, you're going to be held accountable. Held accountable to what? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and understanding. All right, he said, now, Timothy, I'm telling you, this is what you're going to do. And I'm telling you, this is what you're going to be held accountable for and judged for. Preach the word. Didn't say tell jokes. Didn't say tell funny stories. It didn't say, you know, quote one verse and then tell a nice little story that makes everybody feel good. Preach the word. Be ready. In season and out of season, when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient. 
be ready to preach the word. Now, now this takes a life of study. See, you, you can't just study to get a sermon as a pastor. This is a life of study that at any minute you are ready to preach. At any minute you can grab your Bible and stand up in front of people and preach. You can reprove at any minute. You can rebuke at any minute. You can exhort at any minute with complete patience and teaching. Now, I want you to notice the role of a pastor is not popularity. That's a celebrity. As pastors, we are not celebrities. As pastors, we have to reprove. That doesn't make you popular. As pastors, we have to rebuke. That doesn't make you popular. As pastors, we have to exhort. Now, sometimes that makes you popular. With complete patience and teaching. Now, neither one of those make you popular either because some people don't want you to be patient with people and some people want you to be more patient with people. But all you can do is do your best with patience and teaching. And he said, now let me tell you why you, you have to do this, Timothy. He said, the time is coming. He said, Timothy, the time is coming. Seasons change. Seasons change. Spiritual seasons change. The time is coming. Spiritual seasons change, Timothy. When people will not endure sound teaching. He said they, they won't listen to sound teaching. Now they'll listen to dribble. They'll listen to blessed shallowness. But they won't listen to sound teaching. He said, Timothy, you've got to take every opportunity you have right now to be ready in season and out of season. Take every opportunity you have right now to reprove, rebuke, exhort. He said, Timothy, you've got to take every opportunity because spiritual seasons change. And when spiritual seasons change, people will not, and notice the word, endure. They won't tolerate. They won't put up with sound teaching. They don't want to hear it. Tell me something that makes me feel better. But have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Now, that, that's amazing. All right, so notice, it is not pastors who gather people. It is people who gather teachers. They start accumulating teachers. Well, you know, I, I listen to this person for that, and, I, and it's never been easier than Christian television. I listen to this person and I listen to this person and they have all these teachers. And how do they choose these teachers? To suit their own passions. Well, you know what? I like to drink, so I'm going to listen to teachers who teach me that it's all right to get drunk. Well, you know, I like premarital sex, so I'm going to listen to teachers that, that teach me premarital sex is all right. 
well, I like pornography, so I'm going to follow teachers who, you know, they, they kind of like their little pornography on the side also. To suit their own passions. In other words, these teachers will not reprove, rebuke, exhort. Okay? <laughs> these, these teachers, the, these, these teachers, all right, these teachers, let's, these teachers will not reprove, rebuke, exhort. No, no. They just want to say the things that people want to hear. Wow. And turning away from listening to truth. Wow. They make a decision. This is a decision. They make a decision to turn away from listening to truth. They wander off. They wander off into myths. Little cute stories. Now, now, beloved, please. Have you ever seen a child at Schumard or the mall and their mom is paying for something at the counter and the child just turns off and begins, they see something that catches their eye and they wander off? And then they're crying for an hour while my mama tries to find them? That's exactly what happens. People wander off. But he said, as for you, all right, now, as for you, as for you. Notice the theme keeps coming up. He said, now, Timothy, as for you, be sober-minded, be serious. He said, don't, don't be a frivolent person. Be serious. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Now, here are four great pastoral rules commands, however you want to call it. One, be sober-minded. Be a serious-minded person. Number two, endure suffering. Now, pastors, you're going to have to go through some suffering. Sometimes that suffering is persecution from the world, and sometimes it's persecution from church members. Now, now listen, let me talk to the pastors, everybody, for just a minute, because there's so many hundreds of pastors that listen to me every morning. Pastors, I know they've got lots of books out on pastors that abuse and the narcissistic pastor and all these evil pastors. But you know what? 99% of the pastors I meet are really good people. They're not perfect people. None of us are, but they're good people. But you know what? Sometimes the church members really put a lot of suffering on pastors. That's why Paul told in the book of Hebrews, listen, listen to them. Be submissive to your pastors so that their work will be a joy and not a burden. But pastors, just because the people give you a pain, you endure the suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Every pastor is to be evangelistic. The work of an evangelist is to go get people saved. Every pastor should be an evangelist, not an event personality. Okay? Our job is not to be an event personality where people come to see us. Our job is to do the work of an evangelist. To go and seek and save that which is lost and bring them into the house of God. And he said, fulfill your ministry. He said, fulfill your ministry. Do what you're supposed to do in your ministry. He said, now for me, uh, here he changes gears really strongly. He said, I am already being poured out. All right, so Paul is dying. The time of my departure is at hand. So Paul is dying. Okay? Not the fish either. Physical death. Okay. That was my joke. Forgive me. 
He said, I'm already being poured out. Notice the already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. Notice, past tense. When Paul writes this, he knows he's dying. I have fought the good fight. He said, I have finished the race. He said, I have kept the faith. Wow. Paul said, you know what? I look at my life. He said, I'm going to heaven. He said, I'm done. My fight is over, but I fought a good fight. He said, you know, I'm done. I have finished the race. There comes a point in every man or woman of God's life where, like King David, they have fulfilled God's purpose for their life on this earth. And you know when that has come. He said, I've, I've finished my race. It's, it's, it's over. It's done. I've done everything God has wanted me to do, Timothy. I have kept the faith. He said, you know what? I've been faithful. Oh, that is how I want to die one day. <laughs> Not anytime soon. 20, 25 years from now, if Jesus tarries, though when you look at the world today, he could come any minute. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's how I want to end my life. God, I fought the good fight. I never backed down. God, I finished my race. I've done everything you've asked me to do, and I competed according to the rules, like Paul says earlier. I've kept the faith. He said, henceforth, he said, this is, this is my future. Oh, I like this. Paul said, this is my future. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only me, but also for all who have loved his appearing. <laughs> There's a crown of righteousness for every one of us. when we love his appearing. Now, I don't believe that that's just the rapture. Now, I think rapture is part of that. I think part of that is death. Do you remember when Jesus said, you know, don't be afraid? He said, listen, I've gone and I've prepared a place for you. And if I've prepared a place for you in John, that I will come back and receive you unto myself. He said, I will come back. See, I really believe that at death, we blink our eyes and we see him face to face. Ah. Death is not something to fear. We blink our eyes. He, he doesn't send an angel to come and get us. He says, I will come and receive you unto myself. And Paul said, that's what I'm going to get my crown of righteousness. Now he gets practical. He said, do your best to come to me soon. Now notice, Paul doesn't ask the impossible. He just asks your best. All right, so ask the best not the impossible. That's all we have the right to ask of anybody, is to ask the best. He said, now Demas. <laughs> now he, he called a preacher by name, okay? So don't, don't, don't say that it's wrong to call preachers by name. He said, now Demas, in love with this present world, deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Christians has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, 
Luke alone is with me. Now notice, he doesn't criticize Christians. He doesn't criticize Titus. But he said, you know, Demas, these other guys went out for ministry. These other guys went to do the work of God. He said, Demas, he just deserted me. And he said, you know what this, this preacher Demas did? He deserted me because he's in love with this present world. Pastors, you're never going to be faithful if you love this present world. You're only going to be faithful if you love heaven. He said, now Luke alone is with me. So he said, listen, I've still got Dr. Luke with me. And remember, Paul's dying. He said, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. He said, Luke alone is with me. Now, why does Paul want him to come quickly? He said, because I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. He said, you know, I don't have that much longer. He said, so here's this guy in his weakness. Demas runs off on him. Wow. You've got to find that people in love with this present world desert you when they think there's weakness in you. Mm. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark. Wow, now here's the story. The story of Mark. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. Now, Mark had deserted Paul once before. He lost a large part of his life. Instead of being trained by Paul and in touching the world, he stayed within the Jewish community and was trained by the Apostle Peter. But he said, he's very useful for me for the ministry. His Mark's decision changed the, direct, the trajectory of his life, but God still used him. Tychius I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. <laughs> what was important to Paul? Ah, this is cool. What was important to Paul? My books, my parchments. He said, oh yeah, and I need something to stay warm. <laughs> Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Wow. So, You know, sometimes a coppersmith in that day would be a businessman. Sometimes businessmen and businesswomen, they, they do great harm to preachers. Alexander the coppersmith, he would have been a, a wealthy man in that day, a tradesman, which would be like a businessman in our world. He did me great harm. He said, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Paul said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to lift my voice. I'm not going to, he said, Timothy, be careful now. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. Okay? Paul said, I'm not going to fight him, but Timothy, be careful around this guy. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me. All deserted me. May it not be charged against them. <laughs> like Jesus. We often suffer alone. Paul said, no one came to stand by me. He said, at my first offense, no, nobody stood with me. They all deserted me. He said, May it not be charged against them. Paul said, I, I, got, I got no animosity in my heart toward people. He said, but 
And here's the great truth. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. He said, you know what? Everybody else walked out. Jesus. Jesus. Never walks out on us. Jesus. Ah, oh, sometimes my pen. Jesus never deserts us. He stood by me. He strengthened me so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed. He said, you know what? God stood by me for one reason, so that I can preach the message <laughs> and that all Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth, not by people, but by Jesus. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Here's Paul's faith. You wonder why Paul could survive all the persecution he went through and never get discouraged? Here's Paul's faith. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Now, folks, you, you need to get a hold of that. Because there's going to be a lot of people in this life that are going to hurt you. You've you got to get a hold of this. The Lord will rescue you from every, not a few, every evil deed. Everything people do evil to hurt you and destroy you, God will rescue you from. This is Paul's faith. He said, now greet Priscilla and Aquila. These are his old friends and the household of Onesiphorus. Orestes remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus, all right? So, you know, there were people who got sick around the Apostle Paul, okay? So faith, men of faith still see sickness in their friends. I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Now, get a hold of this, folks. Get a hold of this. Because in, in today's world, there are these super spiritualistic people who say, I've never been sick a day in my life. I've never had anybody in my family sick. I've never had any of my friends sick. Well, I guess they've got more faith than Paul. Do your best. All right, now here's that do your best again. Do your best to come before winter, all right? So why, why did Paul want him there before winter? Well, do you remember? He asked for his cloak. He said, do your best to come to me before winter. Eubulus sends his greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be to you. And thus finishes 2 Timothy. That took a long time today. Let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. Praise, for great is thy faithfulness.
I still remember the day you saved me, the day I heard you called out my name. You said you loved me. Testament passage today picks up in Jeremiah chapter 38, verse 1. So let's turn there. Now, Shephathiah, the son of Mathan, Gedaliah, the son of Pashur, Jukal, the son of Shalemiah, and Pashur, the son of Malchiah, heard the words that Jeremiah was saying to all the people. The Lord says, thus the Lord says, he who stays in this city will die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. All right, so three sources of death. But he who goes out to the Chaldeans will live. He shall have his life as a prize of war and live. All right, so how to survive? Thus says the Lord, this city shall surely be given into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon and be taken. Then the officials said to the king, let this man be put to death, for he is weakening the hands of the soldiers who are left in this city and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man is not seeking the welfare of this people, but their harm. That's, a, that's not true. That's just not true. That's how they saw it. Their perception. Now, now brothers and sisters, it is amazing how people's perceptions affect what they believe is true. <laughs> your perceptions are made up of all the things you've heard, all of your past experiences and everything else. And sometimes your perceptions are a great source of your deceptions. Let me say that again. Sometimes your perceptions are a great source of your deceptions. Let me say that again. Sometimes your perceptions are a great source of your deceptions. Verse 5, King Zedekiah said, Behold, he is in your hands, for the king can do nothing against you. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the cistern of Malchiah, the king's son, who was in the court of the guard, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. And there was no water in the cistern, only mud. And Jeremiah sank in the mud. <laughs> the reward for telling people God's word. <laughs> I, I always chuckle at that one. The reward for preaching truth. You get stuck in mud. When Albedmecha, the Ethiopian, a eunuch who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah into the cistern, the king was sitting in the Benjamin gate. Albedmecha went to the king's house and said to the king, My lord, the king, these men have done evil in all that they did to Jeremiah the prophet by casting him into the cistern, and he will die there of hunger, for there is no bread left in the city. 
Then the king commanded Eldabmachath, the Ethiopian, Take three men with you from here and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the cistern before he dies. So ebed took men with him, went to the house of the king, to the wardrobe in the storehouse, and took from there old rags and worn-out clothes, which he let down to Jeremiah in the cistern by ropes. Then ebed the Ethiopian, said to Jeremiah, Put the rags and clothes between your armpits and the ropes. So Jeremiah did so. Then they drew up Jeremiah with ropes and lifted him out of the cistern. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard. King Zedekiah set for Jeremiah the prophet and received him at the third entrance of the temple of the Lord. And the king said to Jeremiah, I will ask you a question. Hide nothing from me. Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, I tell you, you will not surely put me to death. If I give you counsel, you will not listen to me. Then King Zedekiah swore secretly to Jeremiah, as the Lord lives who made our souls. I will not put you to death or deliver you into the hands of these men who seek your life. He said, these assistants of mine that want to kill you, I won't give you over to them. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel. If you will surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then your life will be spared and this city shall not be burned with fire. You and your house will live. But if you do not surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then this city shall be given into the hands of the Chaldeans, and they shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from their hand. King Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, I am afraid of the Judeans, who have deserted us to the Chaldeans, lest I be handed over to them, and they deal cruelly with me. Jeremiah said, You shall not be given to them. Obey now the voice of the Lord in what I say to you, and it shall be well with you, and your life shall be spared. Obey the voice of the Lord. But if you refuse to surrender, this is the vision the Lord has shown me. Behold, all the women left in the house of the king of Judah shall be led out to the officials of the king of Babylon. And were saying, your trusted friends have deceived you and prevailed against you. Now that your feet are sunk in mud, turn away from you. All your wives and sons shall be led out to the Chaldeans, and you yourself shall not escape their hand, but shall be seized by the king of Babylon and this city burned with fire. Then Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, Let no one know of these words, and you shall not die. If the officials hear that I have spoken to you and come to you and say to you, Tell us what you said to the king, and what the king said to you, Hide nothing from us, and we will not put you to death, then you shall say to them, I made a humble plea to the king that he should not send me back to the house of Jonathan to die there. Then all the officials came to Jeremiah and asked him, and he answered them as the king had instructed him. So they stopped speaking with him, for the conversation had not been overheard. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard until the day that Jerusalem was taken. Now notice, you have two sets of leaders. You have the king, and you have the assistants to the king. Brothers and sisters, that's true all over the world today. There are times when a person in charge asks you something and the people next level down, they attack you. You just have to learn in life. There's the leader and then there are those under the leader. And when they feel that the leader can't do anything, it's amazing the things that they do. Verse 39. In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and besieged it. In the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, a breach was made in the city. Then all the officials of the king of Babylon came and sat in the middle gate. Nergar Sazezer, 
Shagmar Nebu, Sechem, Rab Saris, Nergal Saezra, Rab Mag, and all the rest of the officers of the king of Babylon. When Zedekiah, king of Judah, and all the soldiers saw them, they fled, going out of the city by night, by the way of the king's garden, through the gate between the two walls, and they went toward the Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. And when they had taken him, they brought him up before Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, at Riblah, in the land of Hamath, and he passed sentence on it. Now notice the plains of Jericho. We drive right through there every year from his, in our Israel tour. We come up from the Dead Sea, or if we're coming from Galilee, we, there's a right turn if we're coming from Galilee, we just go straight. If we're there, um, coming up from the sea of uh, uh, the Dead Sea, those are the plains of Jericho. The king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah at Riblah before his eyes, and the king of Babylon slaughtered all the nobles of Judah. And he put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains to take him to Babylon. The Chaldeans burned the king's house and the house of the people and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Then Nebuzadan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile to Babylon the rest of the people who were left in the city, those who had not deserted to him, and the people who remained. Nebuzardan, the captain of the guard, left in the land of Judah some of the poor people who owned nothing and gave them vineyards and fields at the same time. This is how you weaken a nation. You take out the intelligentsia, you take out the nobility, and you only leave the masa. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave command concerning Jeremiah through Nebuzadan, the captain of the guard, saying, Take him, look after him well, do him no harm, but deal with him as he tells you to. So, Nebuzadan, the captain of the guard, Nebush Hazban, and Rabsaris, Nergal Sazer, Rabag, and all the chief officers of the king of Babylon sent and took Jeremiah from the court of the Lord, court of the guard. They entrusted him to Jedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan. He should take him home, so he lived among the people. The prophet of God, who did what was right, stayed in the land. That's beautiful. Stayed in the land. Ah, my pen. He stayed in the land. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the Lord. Go and say to Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will fulfill my words against this city for harm and not for good, and they shall be accomplished before you on that day. But I will deliver you on that day, declares the Lord, and you shall not be given into the hand of the men of whom you are afraid. But I will save you, I will surely save you, and you shall not fall by the sword, but you shall have your life as a prize of war, because you have put your trust in me, declares the Lord. This one foreigner, this Ethiopian, did what was right. Everybody else, all the other second-level command of, of the king wanted to kill him, put him in a pit to die. This guy did what was right, saved the life of the prophet of God. And in the hard times, 
God saved his life. You reap what you sow. All right, we'll see you tonight, seven o'clock, as we get back into the book of Romans.